Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Emily Blunt is among the most popular actors working today. She uses her celebrity on behalf of an important cause. Blunt is the spokesperson for the American Institute for Stuttering. While visiting the Institute in Atlanta last month, she spoke with me, and later this hour, we'll hear Emily Blunt discussing her own struggle with stuttering and her advocacy for helping others with the disorder. First, you're listening to City Lights on 90.1 WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and this is our year-end membership drive. You value the independent and unbiased news you hear on WABE. You also enjoy the arts and culture programming we provide you every day. So please, we need you to do your part and make a donation right now. We rely on listeners like you because... 84% of our funding comes from this community. So please join other sustaining members of WABE with a gift of $10 a month. Just click the donate button at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. I'm joined this hour by City Lights producer, Summer Evans. Hey, Lois. We're asking you to give in this hour because you appreciate and value WABE. One way to show how much you value the station is to become a sustaining member. When you set up a monthly gift, say $10 a month, it allows us to have a better sense of what money we can rely on. And you'll be satisfied knowing that you're constantly supporting WABE. Become a sustaining member today by visiting wabe.org slash donate or pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090. My name is Teresa Brown and I live in the Kirkwood neighborhood. NPR has been a part of my life for 30 years, but it has been a part of my son's lives for all of their lives. They are 13 and 11 and they know the shows, um, they know the personalities, 
I hear them talk about it when I'm not present, when I'm in another room. And that really means a lot to me because it is a station that I feel proud of and that is exposing them to information that they may not be getting in other places. Because you value the type of information you get on WABE, we are asking for your help. We're fundraising right now because we need the money to pay for programs like City Lights. Please think about what you can afford. Maybe that's $10 a month. Then donate at wabe.org. You've been listening to WABE for some time now. You've heard our fundraisers and thought, yeah, I really should give back to WABE. Well, now is the time to do it. We provide in-depth, intelligent coverage that helps you better understand the world. Lois brings you the best of Atlanta's art scenes. Every day, she introduces you to artists and musicians and actors like Emily Blunt and playwright Alfred Urey. This is only possible with your financial support. Become a member today by going to wabe.org donate or by calling 678-553-9090. When you give to WABE as a sustainer at $10 a month, we'd like to thank you with our Forever I Love Atlanta mug. This ceramic mug designed by Atlanta artist India Navarro features hand-drawn designs of some of ATL's best-known landmarks. Please make your gift of $10 a month at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. Where would public radio be without a mug? We need your support. We know you value WABE, so please take the time to donate right now. It's an exciting feeling to know you've made a difference. Go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks so much. A 1940s song familiar at this season begins, I'll be home for Christmas. Those words have added meaning this year as COVID-19 has radically altered our lives. Timothy Verville is the music director and conductor of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra. He joins us now with... Cami Stevens, executive director of the Michael O'Neill Singers, and Jim Verecchia, executive director of the Atlanta Master Chorale. They're here to tell us about the project Georgia's Home for the Holidays. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. So please tell us how this program came about. I guess I'll jump in since I probably was the initiator of the uh, concept. We have a informal grouping of choral groups here in the Atlanta area called the Choral Music of Metro Atlanta. And we've been meeting periodically during this uh, pandemic period on Zoom, like everyone else. And as we were discussing varying issues that we're all facing without having concerts and things, the focus came to the holiday season, which is for most choirs and music groups, one of the high points of the year. And 
we were all kind of struggling with the fact that we won't have that normal performance. So during the Zoom call, this idea struck me in my, my own mind, and it was something about how could we get some groups together to do some virtual kind of holiday music. And so I, I threw it out into the discussion on the Zoom call, and it got a little bit of traction, but we didn't jump right into the, the model that we now have. And so I threw it out there. And at the end of the call, uh, we said that we would continue discussions. And then I connected with Susan Stensland, who is the executive director of the Georgia Symphony. And we had a, a brief discussion. And then she had a discussion with, with Tim. And I'm going to let Tim pick up from there of what happened on their side of the discussion. Yeah, thanks, Jim. So uh, as Jim was saying, Susan had kind of brought this this idea of of all the groups trying to find something to do because everybody's looking for creative outputs during these times and, and trying to find ways to fulfill our, our each individual missions in, in terms of creating music and giving back to the community. And, and so Susan and I chatted a little bit about it. And uh, you know, we bounced back and forth different ideas and, you know, what would it look like if we created, you know, a, a one hour two hour show was something that I think she had brought with us. And, and I thought the idea, instead of having, you know, everybody is, is fairly time crunched these days. I thought the idea of, of making it into smaller, more bite-sized pieces, but then taking the program and spreading it out over, uh, you know, multiple days might be something that we could, you know, interject just that little bit of holiday uh, music into people's lives every day for a long period of time. And, that's how we we sort of came up with this idea, and uh, Susan took it back, and that's kind of how we are here today. I think it's so special because with all the robotic <laughs> opportunities we have to just call up music, tell Alexa, whomever, to play whatever, here you have live music, at least music that was created by live people in a live setting, well, as safely as one can be in these times. And to have something unique for 35 days of the holiday season was just marvelous. Well, thank you. I mean, it's it, it really speaks to not only just, you know, my desire to give back or Cami or, or Jim's, but you really look at the picture as a whole of, of how many groups we actually have in the metropolitan area and expanded out a little bit further with some groups coming from a little bit further away. But there is really an abundance of music making that's happening in our state. And it gives us the opportunity to not only then present this music to a wide range of audience, it allows each of these groups to then present a unique holiday experience to all of their audiences who they can't come together with, but then also at the same time, allow us to kind of highlight, hey, you know, these groups also need your financial support right now because, you know, we, we don't have tickets that generate revenue. We don't have all these other sponsorships that go along with performances to help be able to sustain these groups. So really, it's a great thing because it accomplishes multiple multiple goals in terms of fulfilling community needs and desires and music, fulfilling missions for these organizations, and even getting the word out about some of these groups. Because we have so many, you might not know each of them and what their individual mission is or how they interact with their community or what types of music they perform. So it allows us to put a spotlight on them and showcase really 
what all these great, you know, instrumental and choral groups around the area can really Well, to do. that point, would each of you, each of the three of you, give us a brief description of what your ensembles do? I will start, if that's all right, with you all. I'm with the Michael O'Neill Singers again, Cami Stevens, the executive director. And we have been in business for 30 years as a large symphonic-sized choral organization. And so in the past, our purpose has been to engage, enrich, and educate singers and audiences through our choral performance. Of course, COVID changed what that looks like. We do have musical outreach to senior living centers, especially that's continued. We do have a YouTube channel where we're able to provide choral performances um, virtually in that sense. But in the COVID time, we sought to still play into our mission of engaging, educating, enriching. We looked towards our Summer Singers program, which is again, involves a large chorus. And we created a virtual experience for this COVID time where singers can sign up, rehearse music via a YouTube video, come onto a live Zoom call following that rehearsal, and then produce virtual choruses from that. So that's what the Michael O'Neill Singers has been about and is doing in the COVID time. Let's move to the instrumental. Timothy, what about the Georgia Symphony? Well, for us, we we were actually in the middle of filming a different series, and it encompasses all our ensembles. For those who, who aren't aware, the Georgia Symphony is more than just an orchestra. We obviously have that component, but we also have the, the GSO Chorus. We have uh, GSO Jazz, which is our, our jazz band, and so we, we have a lot of different activities that are are going on, and during this time, we were shooting our uh, our Symphony in the City series to celebrate our 70th anniversary. So we were taking our musicians out and filming them in different places. And we were going to record some holiday music anyways for this. And uh, so we ended up doing three different pieces. And, you know, they were presented to the group that was making the decisions about <laughs> who has which music and where uh, it's going to fall on the schedule. Uh, so we're performing... Well, I think we actually have four. You'd think I would know this because I'm the only one who's seen the entire series. So we have Auld Lang Syne on the 31st to, to kind of wrap things up. Uh, we have a Hanukkah medley. We have a, a very special virtual chorus that just finished completed, which uses our jazz group and our singers and puts them together. We recorded our jazz musicians out by a pond of all places. And and we kind of meld those together in in a digital environment. And you know, we, we just, I don't know, we, we do a lot of kind of different things. And I think that reflects in, in the selections that, that are included in this. And the Master Chorale, your ensemble has a very focused repertoire. Yes, it does, Lois. You probably have, you know, heard and the chorale really had its beginnings back in 1985 and developed a, along the years. And it's with the addition of Eric Nelson as the artistic director that the momentum of the chorale really picked up a tremendous amount of uh, speed, if you will. So the, the repertoire is very, very classically oriented to you know, the choral tradition.
you know, it's composed of about 60 singers who have professional lives, about a third of them being music directors or music professor, teacher of the like. And they come together as volunteers, you know, to do this, this singing and rehearsing and, and give, you know, the four or five performances that we do every year with all the recordings. Uh, and especially our now that we're seeing our digital outreach, which has been astounding. Uh, back in August, we surpassed a million views of our YouTube library. And so, you know, we're very proud of the choral sound that we have created, of uh, the reputation, our choral series uh, that we now sponsor, and, and everything that, that just continues to generate interest in the beautiful tradition of choral music. Would you say your repertoire is primarily sacred? It used to be when we were known as the Atlanta Sacred Choral, and then uh, about eight or more years ago, the name shifted to uh, the Atlanta Master Choral, and that expanded its repertoire beyond the, the sacred to all levels and all types of, of choral music. And so uh, we've had a tremendous response you know, to that broadening of our, our repertoire. Mm. These daily videos, 35 of them, which started the day after Thanksgiving, feature choral and instrumental musicians from 32 ensembles around the state. What can you tell us about the selection process? To be honest, we weren't quite sure how many responses we would get from the groups. And I know Cami and Susan and I were astounded with the response. And so uh, we actually were had to expand the program, if you will, to, to the 35 days to accommodate everyone, which was a delightful dilemma. <laughs> and once we had that, we had to create the parameters for the programming which Tim was very instrumental in helping us with. But we also had to then uh, curate a list of recommendations that came in from the group so that we didn't have two or three of the same holiday songs. So we, we went through the lists and, and Cami, Susan, I spent a lot of time creating the, if you will, a playlist and then creating a calendar from that playlist, uh, which then took life. And I'll let my colleagues jump in here. Yeah, we took, as Jim said, we didn't know how many we'd had. So we were looking to fill the days of December at first. And again, we had such a great response to speak back to Tim's point about the diversity and the number of groups in our Atlanta and Georgia area. Uh, we made connections with groups that we had not yet connected with through our choral music um, roundtable. And it's been such a blessing and bright spot in this COVID time. But yes, we asked each organization to provide their top three choices. And I also want to speak here and, and uh, compliment Tim and the GSO. We talked to a diversity uh, of groups. Some had never recorded a choral concert of theirs, or some had choral music recorded um, from many years ago. Some had just had audio. And Tim made it possible for all of these groups to submit what they had. We, he did a great job of, of being inclusive of the many groups with their many different sizes and um, again, backgrounds of, of recorded music. The group submitted three pieces each. And again, from that, we were able to choose a diversity of music to stretch throughout the many December and winter holidays. 
goodness. Was there a lot of overlap, or was it relatively easy to come up with different songs for each day? Jim, I think we were surprised by how little overlap there was. Very true, Cammie. It, it was astounding to me that we only had maybe three or four overlaps. Oh, wow. That is great. So it was decided among the three of you which songs would be featured on each particular day. That is correct. Yeah. And we, we tried to then take a look at the specific holidays that we celebrate in the winter, and we tried to then gear the music that was submitted around those specific holidays. And as Tim mentioned, you know, we have some of the music that revolves around Hanukkah and we have some of the groups that are represented that help us celebrate Kwanzaa. And then the more secular of the holiday, we might say Christmas or holiday music, we kept toward the beginning part of the season. And then as we got to the more sacred pieces that celebrate the actual religious part of it, we moved them closer to the actual December 2015. Jim Varekia is the executive director of the Atlanta Master Chorale. Timothy Verville is music director and conductor of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra. And Cammie Stevens is the executive director of the Michael O'Neill Singers. We'll be back with more of this conversation after a short break. You're listening to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to City Lights here on 90.1 WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. This is our year-end membership drive. And you might be wondering, why does WABE still fundraise this way? Well, here's why. We need your help. And this is simply the most effective and efficient way to ask for your donation. We cannot do this without you. 84% of our funding comes from Metro Atlanta, and a majority of that is money we raise through member drives like this one. So please, during this holiday season, help us out and become a sustaining member at $15 a month. Call 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org. We're joined this hour by City Lights producer, Summer Evans. That's absolutely right, Lois. Listeners like you make financial contributions because you appreciate and value WABE. 
If you've never donated before, that's okay. But let's change that equation right now. We need your help too. Most listeners give $15 a month, but if $5 or $10 a month better suits your budget, that works too. This is the time to show how much you value WABE. Become a first-time member today by visiting wabe.org donate or pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090. Hey, it's Elsa Chang from NPR. Donating to this station makes a big difference, but it doesn't have to be a big decision. It can be a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Think of all the random stuff that you own, clothes worn once or gadgets you never even figured out how to use, all paid for. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Contribute right now, and thank you. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. How long have you been saying to yourself, one day I'll donate to WABE? Well, now's your chance to go for it. It doesn't take long, and you'll feel good knowing that you are helping to bring public radio to the Atlanta community. Like Elsa said, it only takes a moment. Just visit wabe.org or call us at 678-553-9090. What makes a WABE listener want to become a WABE member? Many say it's a sense of social responsibility. Listeners tell us they see WABE as a shared resource. They donate not just for them, but for you and the entire Atlanta community. Today, we ask that you consider the value you receive from WABE. Then please, put a little something back in order to help others receive this valuable service. With a monthly donation of $15, you become a sustaining member, and your gift just keeps on giving. The process to donate only takes two minutes. Do your part today by giving online at wabe.org slash donate or by calling 678-553-9090. When you become a sustainer at $30 a month or more, we'd like to send you three great gifts. WABE's Forever I Love Atlanta mug, socks, and mask. They include the illustrations of Atlanta artist India Nabarro and feature drawings of some of our beloved city's best-known landmarks. Please make your year-end tax-deductible donation as a sustainer at $30 a month or more at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. We need your support. We know you value WABE. So please take the time to donate right now. Just go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks very much. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Let's return to my conversation with the creators of Georgia's Home for the Holidays. This is a collaborative program of music groups from the metro Atlanta and North Georgia area. I spoke with Jim Varecchia of the Atlanta Master Chorale, Timothy Verville of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra, and Cami Stevens, of the Michael O'Neill Singers. Here, Jim explains when and how they organized all the groups to be part of this series. 
I know the concept developed in an August Zoom call with our group, and it was in August and early September that the discussions between Cami, Susan, Tim, and myself continued, isolating all the details. And um, early October was the target for submissions. For the most part, we were able to to meet that. You know, it's always difficult to to get everything together. And in some cases, people would submit pieces and Tim would have to review them because he was our technical expert on this. And so sometimes we had to go back to the groups and say, can you redo this part or can you send us something else? And, and so there was a that little give and take piece there. But for the most part, we had most of everything finished by, I would say, the end of October. And then the real work began. That's what I was going to say. We had the administrative part mostly done then. And then Tim got to take over, got to and produce these 35 videos for us. So going back to recording and performing, the jazz band could socially distance. I read a story in the paper of maybe a month and a half back, that described choral singing as the AK-47 of musical performance. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you get a chorus together safely to perform during COVID-19? That is the question, Jim. You want to help me speak to this? <laughs> that is, that is the, the major question, Lois, because we know from every report uh, that it's not a safe thing to do. And so for a group to perform now in a live recording session, it has to be socially distanced from six to 12 feet apart, and they have to wear masks, which all impacts the music quality, the breathing, if yes. you will, because singers are used to being very close to each other to hear each other. And so this is a very difficult task to undertake. And so while some of the groups were able to do some of the live recording for these uh, videos, uh, the majority of these were from previous performances that we could pull from, from say a year or two ago. So safely those videos were, were done in a time when when we're not under the COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, but some of these pieces, as, as Tim has alluded to, you know, were created live. And so I'll let him answer how he dealt with the Georgia Symphony side. Yeah, okay. So I can, I, I can speak a little bit about the virtual chorus video that we just finished that's going to, to premiere. So in September, I think it was the 15th or 18th, we actually recorded our jazz band out at Laurel Park as part of our Symphony in the City series, where, uh, as I had mentioned previously, we put our musicians outside in various places around Marietta and, and film them and present them to, to people. And so we recorded that in mid-September, and the Georgia Symphony Orchestra Chorus was working on a different virtual chorus project at that time. So they had then completed that, and we began working on you know the rehearsing and prepping for Glory to God, which is their contribution to Georgia's Home for the Holidays. And they began working on that, I think about four or five weeks ago. And it was a mix of virtual rehearsals through things like Zoom. But then we did a few small in-person, socially distanced outside rehearsals within groups. So, you know, our singers are standing, you know, eight, 10 feet away from each other. And there's a 
a keyboard outside before the weather got too cold because the rehearsals are in the evening. So they were able to kind of run those things together. Then with our chorus director, Brian Black, we created essentially a backing track for them. And there's several ways you can do this. And what we've found works uh, at least pretty well for this is providing them the backing track, which was the jazz band playing, and then overlaying on top of that their part played by a piano so they can pull it out of the mix because you don't always get all the vocal lines in a regular backing track for this type of performance. So their deadline to submit their videos once that was done, I think they had about seven days and that was roughly 10 days ago. So we recently received all of those and were able you know, to put those into the mix and adjusting for duration and removing background noise because everybody's, you know, everybody records in different environments in their own home. And then about five days ago, I went out to record our soloist, who is phenomenal. And then you just kind of, you, you have to, I don't want to say smash it all together because it's a little more finesse than that, but you deal with adding the audio tracks together to blend, to balance. Uh, you have to you have to take all the sopranos and make sure nobody's sticking out, the same as you would in any regular rehearsal, to get that section sound. And then you balance the sections with each other. And then you balance the sections with the, the jazz backing track. And then when the, once that's done, then you have to start doing the video component of it. So these things take time. And for our chorus, you know, we we've been trying to find the different ways to engage them, whether it's these safe outside um, rehearsals. We did one, I think it was about a month and a half ago on a big open tennis court where we required, you know, everybody to be in masks and we had the piano playing out loud and people were very spaced apart and, and very happy to see each other. Because I think sometimes we forget the, the important social aspect of making music together, especially in, in choruses. And so we're, we're constantly trying to find new ways, different ways. We're looking what's been effective for other people and finding those to, to be able to incorporate how we work with our musicians. I can speak to one of our choral groups that did record live. The Crescent Chorale recorded a piece that you all will see in the collaboration later in December, where you'll see the singers spaced out around a church sanctuary with masks on, all listening and singing, and they recorded that way. It is, as Jim said, what we can do right now. It's the best we can do as far as safe singing and safe choral music. And Jim, you mentioned this hearing, but for some of our singers with whom we've been in touch, the masks over nose and mouth are an issue, even if they're the singer masks. Breathing, of course, is a major part of singing and that breath support and breathing is tough to do with masks. After the pandemic ends, Soon, we hope. Sooner than later, we would hope. Has this made you think about doing virtual performances? Absolutely. We have been experimenting with live streaming our choral concerts before the pandemic, trying to gauge whether there's a market for that. Of course, we have previously relied on 
ticket income for a substantial portion of our, our budget for our income. And we, again, experimented, but that's about as far as our particular organization had gotten. Jim, do you want to speak to what you all have done? Yes. You know, for us, our virtual or digital world was primarily on either streaming or on YouTube, which has had a tremendous following. So we had that naturally built into our system, but we hadn't done anything as far as our own performances. Now, I've learned that since we perform our concerts at the Schwartz Center for Performing Arts on the campus of Emory, that they have now added the technology into the hall that in the future, we might be able to do live streaming of our concerts. So that, that's a great thing as far as the future is concerned for us since we have not had that ability to do that. So I see the fact that we will probably move forward with instead of just live audience work and some of our you know, virtual content, we will probably have an, a new way of thinking about presenting our choral outreach. That's a, a tremendous gift, if you will, that, that's the silver lining of the pandemic. Yes. I think the other piece about this specific project is it has opened up new windows and doors of collaboration and a uniting of the music groups, especially the smaller music groups in the city that we would say that we're part of, that I think will be great for our future work together uh, as we help promote each other and primarily promote the, the beauty of choral music. Oh, that's wonderful. I very much agree with that, Jim, too. And with our singers, I'm noticing a change in what we will probably offer in the future. I don't know that we'll ever not offer some way of virtual choral education or choral singing in our future. Because? Our singers that we've engaged online have, it's become a community unto itself that I never would have anticipated had there not been a COVID situation. So again, another silver lining has been bringing together singers from 25 states, a total now of seven nations, if you include the United States, spreading over five continents who are engaged in choral music together and come on Zoom calls together and talk with each other about choral singing. And many of them have already asked, oh, when, when you go back in person, will you continue to offer these online sessions for us? And we're paying attention to that. Not again, something that I ever anticipated we'd be doing. So in addition to virtual audiences, we're thinking about virtual engagement with our participants as well. Truly a global community yes. of music. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've added the component, too, of thinking forward of, you know, we often will commission composers to create works for us. And because of the Zoom reality, uh, we've presented their works in concerts, but now we have the ability to say, you know, tune in before the concert for a special Zoom interview with, you know, uh, Jake Renestad or one of the other composers that, that we, you know, working with and hear the behind the scenes of the composition process, you know? So it's kind of broadened how we will do business in the future. Oh, I think that's marvelous. Where can audiences tune to hear these daily performances? Well, there's multiple ways because not everybody uses the same social networking. And, and so we, we've tried to make it easy for anyone. So if you go to the Georgia Symphony's website, uh, which is georgiasymphony.org. There's, uh, you know, a tile on the front that says home for the holidays. You can click and it takes it there, takes you to the landing page and you can watch there 
while you're there, if you don't want to come back every day, you can sign up and have it have each episode delivered to you every morning through email. So then you get it, you can click on it, have your nice little holiday jolt in the morning to get going. You can also follow the GSO page on YouTube and subscribe or following us on Facebook too. So we've we've got it in a lot of different places and, and tried to make it as easy as possible for people to access really this this wonderful collective of programming and hearing really what great holiday music can sound like. Timothy Verfield is the music director and conductor of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. Cammy Stevens is the executive director of the Michael O'Neill Singers. And Jim Varecchia, executive director of the Atlanta Master Chorale. Thank you so much for joining us and for all you have done to bring some holiday cheer into people's homes every day of this season. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Lois. Have a wonderful holiday. A daily music video will premiere each morning through December 31st. You can find more information about Georgia's Home for the Holidays on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. The way to support the quality programming you are hearing in this hour is by donating to WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. It is our year-end member drive, and we're asking our devoted listeners, like you, to become WABE members. Your sustaining gift of $15 a month protects our editorial independence and allows us to tell Atlanta's stories. Maybe you didn't know this, but 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta area. We rely on this community, and that's why we need your help. Become a sustaining member by calling 678-553-9090 or clicking the Donate button at wabe.org. We're joined this hour by City Lights producer Summer Evans. Hey, Lois. And right now in this hour, we're asking you to give because you appreciate and value WABE. One way to show how much you value the station is to become a sustaining member. When you set up a monthly gift, say $15 a month, it allows us to have a better sense of what money we can rely on. And you'll be satisfied knowing that you're constantly supporting WABE. Become a sustaining member today by visiting wabe.org donate or pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090. We know you value WABE. In fact, here's what one of your fellow listeners had to say about our station. My name is Sam Nums and I live in Lawrenceville. I chose to pledge to WABE because even though I work two jobs and I don't have a lot of money to spend on uh, luxuries, it is something that helps me get through my day keeps me educated when I talk to other people, and uh, I felt it was worth it. If I could say anything, it would just be, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you, Sam. 
from Lawrenceville. He clearly finds value in WABE. What about you? Why do you listen day after day? Because you value programs like City Lights, why not support it? We rely on listeners like you. Please, play your part by donating at wabe.org. How about $15 a month? That's less than 50 cents a day, and it'll really help us out. If you can donate more, that's great. If you want to become a first ever donor at $5 a month, that's great too. Just go to wabe.org slash donate. Thank you. Whether you're a first-time WABE member or you've given in the past, consider becoming a WABE sustaining member. That way you'll never need to worry about when your membership expires. To become a sustaining member, think about how much WABE is worth to you. The average listener gives a monthly donation of $15, but donate what you can afford. The important part is that you become a WABE member. So just grab your credit card, or better yet, save us the transaction fees and use your checking account to set up a sustaining membership. It only takes a few minutes to make your donation, so please call 678-553-9090, or you can go to wabe.org donate. With your new sustainer donation of $15 a month, we'd like to offer you the WABE Pet Combo, featuring a pet tag and collapsible pet bowl for your dog or cat. The aluminum pet tag is red with an I Heart WABE logo. The collapsible pet bowl is red and features the WABE logo on the front. Choose this thank you gift as a new sustainer at $15 a month. Simply make your year-end gift now at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks. We need your support. We know you value WABE, so please take the time to donate right now for the arts and culture programming you rely on. Make a gift right now, please, at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks so much. Emily Blunt is among the most popular actors working today, all the more remarkable as she overcame a severe stutter as a child. Now she uses her celebrity to help others suffering from the disorder. Blunt is a spokesperson for the American Institute for Stuttering. Last month, while visiting the Institute here in Atlanta, Emily Blunt joined me to discuss her own struggle and her advocacy work. Stuttering is one of these things that there's a lot of misinformation about it. And I think usually people associate it with a nervous disposition or some psychological disorder but it's actually genetic. It is neurological, it's biological. It runs very prominently in my family. So my grandfather, my uncle, my cousin, myself, we are all stutterers to varying degrees. But I first noticed it as a lot of children do. There's about 8% of uh, preschoolers who develop a stutter. And so I noticed it beginning around four or five 
I started to recognize that mine was really had its claws in me and was not lessening and was not leaving because most kids grow out of it. 75, 80% of kids will grow out of it. And then I think by the time I was about 10 or 11, it, it was at its most prominent. And it does impede you in so many ways. You can't even begin to imagine how much it impedes you because I think I felt even as a child, it misrepresented who I was and who I wanted to portray to the world. And that was really painful at times. Emily, you mentioned about 11 years old. I read that something transformative occurred for you when you were 12. Sure. Well, I had this really extraordinary uh, teacher who I credit with being the first person who allowed for the record to stop skipping for me. And just an incredibly intuitive man and a kind man. And we were putting on a class play and I'd always wanted to do a class play and I'd always wanted to read my poem out in class and I wanted to do all of those things. But I felt I couldn't or I felt people would laugh at me, so I didn't. But this teacher said to me, would you like to be in the class play? And I said, no, I definitely don't want to do that. And in fact, I don't think I was able to say that, so I just shook my head. And he said, well, I think you, sh I think you would be good because I've seen you outside and I've seen you messing around with your friends and doing silly voices and different accents. And he said, and I think you speak quite fluently when you do a silly voice. So why don't you just do it in a silly voice? Which is sort of extraordinary coming from somebody who doesn't stutter to subconsciously understand that maybe when you do a different voice or you play somebody else, you're able to bypass it because you sort of leapfrog to different aspects or different parts of your brain and whether it's a psychological freedom of freeing yourself from yourself and therefore being somebody else and speaking fluently even in a silly accent which I'm sure it was a dreadful northern English accent that I put on at the time <laughs> but it was just a revelation to me because it just I had never had that experience where I could speak fluently and consistently and so since then I've met through AIS and I drag every actor with a stutter that I meet along to our event and like everyone comes to our event. And a lot of them from Bruce Willis to Samuel L. Jackson, Harvey Keitel, Ed Sheeran had a stutter. I mean, but a lot of these actors have all said the same thing that when they're on screen, they don't stutter. Is it because there's safety in being someone else, not being someone else, but portraying someone else. There's safety in that role. Yes, I think, I think that there is. I think that there's a freedom that comes with disassociating maybe how people look at you when, you when you can disassociate from that. And I spoke to this incredible psychologist about it once and he literally said, I think it's because you just, you access a different part of your brain and when, when you act when you sing, when you act, like you, it's, it's a completely different part of your brain that you're using. And because stuttering is neurological and that's the basis for it, that makes a lot of sense to me. I know that you came out, if you will, as a stutterer in 2009. I wondered what made you feel that was the right time? Well, to me, it's it is just part of my story. It's part of what has built me as a person and I have nothing to be ashamed of with having me. and I think often people 
people associate a lot of shame with stuttering because it is bullied. It is that there's so much intolerance towards people who have one. And I think a lot of children, a lot of adults are so held hostage by this. I used to think of my stutter as being like an imposter in my body. It just was misrepresenting who I was and who I wanted to portray to the world. And I was aware that it was a widespread problem and I didn't understand why no one talked about it. Actor Emily Blunt in Atlanta last month speaking about her severe struggle with stuttering. She's spokesperson for the American Institute for Stuttering. You've been listening to City Lights, WABE's daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we'll celebrate the legacy of Dave Brubeck on his centennial. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S. R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can find our archived stories at wabe.org slash citylights. Thanks for listening to member-supported 90.1 WABE, Atlantis Choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.